Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, and with me, we have our regular crew back. Gally is with us again. Gally, what's happening? What's happening, guys? All well, I don't know if it's all good, but we'll talk about that. But more importantly, Bickler is back in action. Bickler, how's it going? How are you guys? Pretty good. Uh, he snatched Bickler, so you got to excuse him. He had to skip the entire makeup and everything, so he just like rushed into the studio. So we appreciate your efforts going above and beyond over here. And you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded with trivia, your favorite segments of the podcast. So this week, I figured we're going to talk about international games, and I know we're going to be complaining about, you know, why some of our players played when they didn't have to and things like that. But uh, it's going to come back to how we rotate as well, especially moving forwards with all these injuries going into Champions League. So I pulled up these stats over here. So my question to you guys this week is, I want to know the top three times... Top three unused subs for players in the squad right now. So they were on the bench, never made it to the fields. Who you guys have? And Bickler, welcome back, buddy. It's all you. Yeah, let's ask the guy who hates following international break about the roster of a team I care nothing about on international break. No, this is the Liverpool squad. Like, who didn't play... Who was the most this entire season? Oh, I thought you were season. asking about England for some reason. No, no, no. Okay. I could not care less. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> unused substitutes. Oh, man. So, they have to be players that are called up that are on the teams but not being used. Uh, never making it in the game. Uh, so I would say uh, Firmino, um, I guess I'll go – I know Henderson's played some, but I guess – This is unused, the most unused. I know stuff. that. I know oh, that. I know. I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm trying to help you out, man. Yeah, well, Firmino hasn't been playing, has he? I don't know. Like I said, you're asking a guy who doesn't follow anything on international break. Because, you know, it's a break, so I take a break. Um, I don't think you're – Yeah, I'm so Gally, do you understand the question? For I do. Play? Okay, so let's take your guess first. I don't think Bickler's understanding the question. He's thinking international. Well, oh, so I mean, I think... the makeup and everything, he's just not all – Oh, I, so, okay, so you're talking about – Yeah, no. I, I think it's a poorly worded question. It's a poorly listened uh, answer. Uh, so, yeah, it is. Well, it it's is a poorly the... planned segment every week. So, let's just be honest. <laughs> I literally just so wait, scrambled this You're question asking up. a question about the Liverpool squad in Liverpool matches during international break. And I was supposed to make the assumption that the question wasn't about international break, even though you led the segment saying, since it's international break, this is the question. I figured we talk right? about unused subs because we're gonna probably talk about rotation as yeah, well. Yeah, I'll give game. it to you. I got, I got Gomez. We count the keeper. Sure, Kelleher, and Taki. What do you have now that you know the question, Bickler? No excuses. What do you have for the answer? So now I'm going to repeat Galley, and I'm going to look like I'm just piggybacking off Galley's answers. <laughs> well, this, this is Galley's situation. Every this whole segment is bullshit. Like you started it off poor. I made an assumption based off how you worded it. I don't like this at all. Um, I'm going to go. I mean, I think I think Galley's probably nailed it. But just to be different, I'll say. Uh, Nico, even though Nico's not on the bench often enough to be on there, I'll say Nico, Taki, um, yeah, I'll go Keller as well. All right. So for Cosgrove is just joining us. So the, the question was from Liverpool, most unused subs this season. So people who made the squad sat on the bench, but never got a chance to go in. And this is all competition. So 
Let's see what you guys have. I'll let this simmer for a little bit, and then we'll come back. And just to be clear, the question has nothing to do with international break, even though it's international break, and we usually theme them. So let's go to the international break. See, I didn't want you to study. That's why I'm mixing it up over here. Let's go to the international break. Obviously, especially today, I mean, this, I guess, over the last three, four days, news after news, people are being taken off, and it's like, you know, precautionary and stuff like that. But that stuff always scares me. Uh, what do you make of this galley? It's going to be really hard to come up with a lineup for Arsenal game coming up, especially we still have international games to be played tomorrow. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, it's frustrating um, to say the least. Seems like every time we go on international break, we lose or draw a match that we should win right before the break. So we get two weeks of misery and then we watch match after match where our players go off and either get injured or get knocks and get sent home early. And it's happened, what, three times now during this break, it looks like. Mane gets taken off, precautionary, sent back to Liverpool for reports. Henderson gets sent home. And now uh, today, you know, Robo goes off what looks like it might be a hamstring injury. So we'll have to see what the reports come back. But there's something to be said when your team is full of international stars, and then there's something to be frustrated when your team's full of international stars. What do you make? I guess the biggest one that I know got a lot of discussion today, maybe because it is, I mean, it definitely sounds more serious than the other ones, especially if it's a hamstring. I mean, based on how bad it is, it could be anywhere from like, you know, a couple of weeks all the way up to like a month and a half or whatever was Robertson. I mean, what do you make of him playing? I'm probably going to play devil's advocate over here, but what do you say, Bickler? I mean, obviously, he didn't need to play, but then again, he's the captain. What do you make of it? I mean, I don't... I know this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but, like, I don't have a problem with him playing today. They're playing for seeding. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's the, he's the captain of that team. Like, everybody thought they were out. They ripped off five straight wins, and now they're playing for top seeding. So, like, I don't have a I, – I think it would have been weird if they didn't play him, to be quite honest. So, I don't have a problem with them playing. We knew that Scotland was going to play him in every match. We had opportunities to rest Robertson, who hasn't been – he hasn't been himself for months now, and we decided not to rest him. And he comes up with a, fatigue, a, a muscle injury, which is usually fatigue-related. So – I mean, I think that's just on us. Uh, that's on us as much as it is them to be to, to for me. Would it make a difference to you guys if the game didn't matter at all? Like, even if it was for seeding, let's say. I mean, it was for you know, let's say he was playing for Greece, like Costas. You know, what I mean, like where it didn't matter. Would you care if he played or not? I'm just thinking of. Again, it's not going to be a popular take, but if I am Scottish. Uh, or, you know, if a guy is playing for Turkey and he's my captain on top of everything, it's just not a player, it's the captain. I want his ass out there when the national yeah. team is out there. So, I mean, I, I know we don't want it maybe as fans of the club, like the club over country thing, but I would think, you know, anybody who's Scottish would want Robo to play and would almost be semi-offended. I know I would be semi-offended. If let's say like Soyunju from Leicester said, oh, I don't know, we got a game coming up. I've been playing every game so I can use the way I would like get your ass up there or don't play for the national and would be my take as somebody who's Turkish. Yeah, there's there's no reason for him to sit today. There was a reason for him to sit on Sunday if the physios thought he might be getting tired. And I think to what Cosgrove's point is exactly right, is that that would have been on Klopp. So to Paul's point, to Cosgrove's point, if he's going to sit, he should have sat on Sunday. He should sit the first match after the international break, regardless of whether he plays later in the week and if he's fit. I mean, if that's what you have to do, it's on Liverpool to rest him. We take care of him 48 weeks a year. It's on the national team to t handle the other month, month and a half that he's with them. So, I mean, it's on us to make sure our players are fit. Just seems like our players seem to go off and have more issues than other clubs. I think I would have a bigger issue if he had like a knock or something and they still play them like, you know, like they did with like, you know, 
Keita and stuff like that when he went for an international break. But in this case, I mean, it was a healthy guy. Why would they scratch him? He's the captain. I mean, I would expect him to play too. So what do you guys make of the international break? Just as I predicted last week, Turkey's going full throttle over here, setting it all up for disappointment in the last game that they're going to play tomorrow. Just like I wrote the script over here. Interestingly, in that group now, Netherlands could be out. If they lose to Norway at home and if Turkey wins away, uh, Turkey actually wins the group somehow. I don't know how the hell this happened. I mean, it won't, but, you know, it could. And uh, Norway would be second going into those playoffs and Netherlands would be out, which would have been a shocker. Honestly, I saw them up to zero. I was like, oh, that game is over. And I didn't realize, you know, like they tied it at the end, put themselves in danger. I was hoping for like a good rant by Galley, but the U.S. beat Mexico. So I'm assuming you don't even have anything to rant about this week. Nah, not really. I, I I didn't like the way the manager set the team up, but they won, so I can't really complain. You beat Mexico three times in the calendar year. You're doing something right. How about you, Bickler? Maybe we'll get an international rent out of you over here. Did you watch any of the games? Or No, I mean, if anything, I was probably playing for Mexico. But, I mean, that just kind of shows <laughs> where I'm at with international breaks in general. Um I, I caught a few minutes of, of that slugfest between Russia and Croatia, which was played essentially in a small pond of water. Um, and that was an interesting match just from just a sheer neutral point. But I didn't catch much. I honestly, man, like between being way too emotionally invested in Liverpool football, like I use international breaks to, to basically decompress as much as I can, uh, both offline and online. I mean, I'm not that big on international football, but I'm not going to go the Cosgrove route and rather watch my parents have sex than international football. So we'll skip that one. I think I'll stick with football either way. That game was actually the one that was playing in a pond was, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, there were people sliding all over the place. I think I told you guys in the Discord chat, uh, like it just looked like a bunch of like eight, nine-year-olds playing out there, sliding all over the places, rain, let's have some fun and slide. I mean, there were people were slide tackling into balls that they normally would not, and they did not really have to. It was just like a really dangerous one. So maybe because it's the international break uh, with the lack of news and stuff, but a story that obviously was probably like the biggest one of the week is Gerard coming back to the Premier League for Villa. Bickler, what do you make of it uh, in terms of a move for Gerard and Villa, I guess? And then we'll kind of like talk about how it relates to the craze that's going on with like with Liverpool fans in general. But how do you think in terms of like Villa's choice, what do you make of it? Uh, I mean, I think it's a good I think it's a good move for both parties. And I'll tell you why. I mean, Stevie G is obviously an up and coming talent from a managerial standpoint. He plays exciting football. He knows fundamentals. He knows how to get people motivated. Uh, he's obviously a legend outside of just Liverpool football. Um, so I think it's a good move for Aston Villa. And they've shown a commitment to financially invest in that team. So from Stevie's standpoint, I think it's it's a good step up from the Scottish League. He needed something that had more competition. So he's coming into the best league in the world in a, in a storied, legendary club that has a huge history. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a good move. For both parties, I think it's going to be a real challenge for him. But he also has financial backing at, at, at a club with some history. So um, I think it's a good move for both involved uh, in general. I know that, like, you know, Rangers fans are pissed or whatever. I get it. and But I think he had a good run there. He did some great things for them. Uh, but I think he needed a bigger challenge. And I think this is, this is probably – I think this is as good an opportunity uh, in terms of fit and opportunity from him as he could have possibly gotten. Yeah, I mean, like David says, like fantastic move for Stevie, and he thinks it's the best outside the top six. I don't know if I agree to that. So let's take, you know, have your take on that galley. I mean, in terms of opportunities, I personally thought it was kind of like a risky move for Villa because a lot is on the line. I'm mean, obviously, you know, being the chance of being relegated. I do not think they will. I think just because of the squad they have and everything like that, I do not think they will, regardless of who's the manager in some ways. Because uh, I feel like, you know, like Norwich and stuff like that. I mean, Norwich, Burnley, I mean, they're like a much better team than I think they're 
current like you know 16 spot indicates but do you find that do you agree with Cosgrove that's like outside of the top six is probably like the best opportunity I think from a club standpoint, it might be the best opportunity because it is such a big club and has such rich history. I mean, that is a huge stadium with a big fan base. They've spent money. They have some really good young talent. There's a good young core. And they have the two biggest things you need to make sure you stay up. you got a goalie that can keep goals out and strikers who can put the ball in the net. And I think they have that in Watkins and Ings and Martinez. So I I think that Jared has a good base. I think he'll do a better job with that team than Dean Smith was going to do without Jack Grealish. And I think because of the way he plays, I think they'll play the 4-3-3. I think they'll attack with the talent they have. Uh, And like Paul said, I think they'll spend a little bit of money for him, and he'll stay up. But I will say this, if second half of the season comes and they're in a relegation battle, they might just grab the pipe and say, what the hell do we do? Because at that point, they will have a manager who has never seen this in his playing or professional managerial career. And they're in one right now. And I don't think they'll be in one at the end. But if they are, it could get dicey. But I think this was a step he had to do. And I'm just glad he went there and not to Newcastle. I mean, in some ways, it could be a brilliant move by them. I just thought it was kind of risky to get somebody who did not have Premier League experience. And actually, that's a good point, Gally. Definitely not experienced even as a player in terms of being in this situation, a relegation battle. Do you consider that a risk, Paul, or does not really reflect? I, I won't go as far as Cosgrove, but I don't consider that a risk because... I think they are a team that's underperforming because they lost their identity when Graylish left. So I think they've got the quality there. You know, Crosgrove listed off a bunch of players, Martinus Cash, Collins, McGinn, Bailey, Watkins, Hings, right? But, like, they've got quality, right? They're, they're not anywhere near Leicester's quality, so I'm not going to put them, you know, I'm not going to put them as the best team outside of the top six because I don't think they are. But they've got a lot of really good pieces and a lot of good parts, partially because Aston Villa has spent over the last two years, they spent a boatload of money. So they've got the pieces there. I think they just need to find an identity. And that's something that Stevie did a really good job of when he took over Rangers. He took a collection of talent. He acquired a bunch of players through loans and transfers, and he put a brand on that football team. Um, so like, I, I, I think that, I think there's a, a possibility to move for them. I don't consider relegation a risk. I don't think that's going to happen to them. Um, so I guess throughout the week, my biggest, I don't know, like confusion. I'm a huge R fan, obviously watched them for years, but I mean, people, and I would want them to be successful, but am I going to watch all the Villa games and root for them as some Liverpool fans were saying online? Not really. I mean, if, you know, I mean, Burnley's a bad example, but I mean, if Villa is playing, I don't know, Leicester, I guess I'm going to root for Villa now as opposed to just kind of being neutral. But I felt like there was like a ridiculous overreaction and people already like packing up Klopp's bags, which I find like very disrespectful and astonishing. I mean, is it just because he's, I mean, obviously he's a legend, but does that really justify all this, Gally? No. Well, I, I think some people are just overly excited to appoint the new, right? Like, you know, in American sports, people talk all the time about how, you know, the most interesting player on every NFL team is the backup quarterback. It usually means your starting quarterback's not any good. Um, it's just one of those things. Why do people always care about who's next? Do I think Steven Gerrard will manage Liverpool someday? Probably. Um, I don't really care when it happens. I don't think he'll be the next guy after Klopp. I actually think Pep will manage the club after Klopp. If it is Steven Gerrard and he's earned the job by then, great. But at the end of the day, he had to just keep stepping up for his career. And if that was to go to Aston Villa, great. And you know what? If he had gone to Everton, I would have said, okay, great. Like, you have to take jobs. There's only so many of these in the whole world, and only so many times do they get offered to you. 
he got offered one in England, which is why I don't begrudge him for leaving Rangers. I also understand why the Rangers fans are pissed that he left. He was the manager for a year and a half, told them they were going to see it through in Europe, got through one leg and then said, oop, I got a job in the Premier League. I'm taking it during this break. I mean, that's what happens. It's business. We talk about it all the time. I don't begrudge him for it, but he's a human. Just because he was one of the best players to ever wear the red jersey doesn't mean he's any different. He's a mercenary with a contract, and he's going to do that for the rest of his career. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of, you know, fans obviously want him to be a coach sometime in the future. And I, I agree. I think he will be at one point. I don't know if he'll be the next one. Uh, I know if I had, you know, my choice. And we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, if he turns around Villa and, like, you know, over the next two years, I guess this opinion can change. But at this point in time, I think I would rather take Pep and the continuity and, you know, his relationship with the squad than you know, bringing like Gerard in. Where do you sit on that, Dickler? Yeah, I'm the same. Like, I think the system top to bottom has been sort of like built from the academy out into the first team and vice versa. Like, I think the beautiful thing about Liverpool Football Club right now is that there is a branded identity from floor to ceiling in terms of the way we want to play, the players we want to have in in the sort of footballing philosophy. Um not to say that Stevie can't replicate that, but Pep is integral into the training. He's like the players like him. You know, it's it's part of the reason that Bubak left. You know, what I mean, it's Pep is like very, very well liked by the players. He's integral into the setup and how they train uh, in the tactics. Um, I think he's the natural heir apparent. Um, I love Stevie. I understand the fascination with Stevie. I understand the reverence in which everyone holds him through. I think the like this assumption that Stevie's going to come back and coach Liverpool as the next coach it just borders on this weird sort of like obsession that a lot of our fan base has with Stevie G. And like, I don't know, man, for me, I, I'm probably in the minority here, but like, I just don't ever care if I ever see him coach Liverpool. Like for me, it's like his legacy is his legacy, and I want him to, to have that remained intact. And, like, I don't necessarily want to see him manage Liverpool. Like, uh, because those relationships, when a manager takes over, those relationships always end at some point, and they're not always amicable. And when they do end, it's usually not the way that Klopp's is going to end, where he, like, makes a decision to walk away. It's generally because the job didn't get done. There needs to be a change if somebody gets fired. And I just, like, am not emotionally ready for that. I'd, I'd rather just have – Stevie's legacy be his legacy. Um, I mean, I may feel a bit differently about that in like 10 years. If he goes on and he wins a bunch of stuff and he becomes like uh, uh, a separate, like he almost has two legacies. Like he's known as like a, one of the premier coaches. Like I may feel different about him coming in and managing, but like, I don't know, man. I just a hundred percent would rather have Pep. Yeah. In some ways, if you think about it, and I do kind of like admire him for this. It is a gutsy move by Stevie as well. I think, you know, if this job was his next and this was kind of like an unspoken thing in the background and, you know, and that was like the long-term plan, I feel like this is kind of like a risky move for him because staying in Scotland with the Rangers, he could have kind of like milked it for another couple of seasons. So Klopp's contract is out and then be like a shoe-in, whereas I think the discussion will be totally different, let's say, if Villa gets relegated, right, Gally? Yeah, I, I think it's straight up that that conversation never happened because they have no intention of that happening. Like, I don't think FSG ever said to themselves, when Jurgen walks away, we'll give the job to Stevie. I think Stevie went up there knowing they finally got a job somewhere because he went for a few jobs and didn't get him in the championship with Swansea, and he interviewed for the Derby job that they gave to Lampard. So he went for some jobs, didn't get him. He took the Rangers job, did a great job, won a title, advanced a little bit in Europe, and was on his way to win a second one, I think. And he parlayed that into what he had to do, which was get a job in England. He wants to be the manager of Liverpool. I, I think that's pretty clear. But I think he knew he had to 
have a couple stops on the way. And I think Aston Villa is just the next stop. There's probably another one after it. And, you know, it, it might even be a big club. Who the heck knows? If he gets a shot and he does a good job, why wouldn't he take an Arsenal job or a Tottenham job or something if there's a better job out there eventually for him leaving Aston Villa? He'll take whatever job he can. And I think eventually he'll coach Liverpool. I just think it'll be quite a long time from now, 10, 15 years probably. I think he has to build his own legacy before he gets to take over that. I think one thing is, you know, if you feel – and I look at Manchester United, and I think this is like the issue they're having, and this is one of the reasons why I do not want, you know, to have him. It kind of goes back to what Bickler is saying, you know, have his legacy as the player that he was and just like remember him as that. Because I feel like when you bring a player who was successful with the club as manager – you kind of, I mean, it kind of helps the ownership because I think it's a better shield for the ownership because, I mean, you see with Manchester United now, if it was anybody else at United, the fans would have turned so much faster and there's still people like, you know, sporting, you know, Ole and saying, you know, well, it's like the ownership, blah, blah, blah. Whereas anybody else, they would have been, you know, he would have been out. I feel like when you get a player, it's, Harder for fans, to, especially, I mean, and think about that. That's freaking Ole, who had some, like, big goals for him and stuff like that. But it's nowhere near Stevie's legendary status as Liverpool, at Liverpool. So I just feel like that would be, if FSG considers that, it would be more, that would be the additional bonus, I think. The fact that it's just kind of like a bigger shield that buys the club and the new manager sometime, right, Bickler? Because I like I say, like look you look at all the fan reaction right now. I feel like these people would just give Stevie a lot more time than let's say if it was Pep. Yeah, so, I think that's probably fair. I mean I think that's fair. I think they probably would give you Stevie more time, right? I mean, but I think that's natural. Uh because of his legacy. Like in like that's what I hate about that is his legacy as a player is going to be tied into what he does from a managerial perspective at Liverpool. And that's why I hope, I think Galley's right. I think it's only a matter of time until he does manage Liverpool. Uh, and I also hope that Galley's right that it's probably like 10 to 15 years away because I think that's what it needs. Like I think he needs to have a separate legacy away from his playing days at Liverpool. Um, I don't want to see what happened to Lampard happened to Stevie where he comes in, takes over a squad, and it's just too early, too early days. It's too much. Um, but to Stevie's credit, I will say that I think that he is incredibly intelligent in terms of doing what he knows is best for him in a spot. So I kind of think that Stevie's not going to take on something that he's not ready for. I think he's smart enough to read the room, and he's smart enough to see the rest of it, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. So I know we were going to talk about this. We were talking about like, you know, going over this in the last international break, but we were like, oh, let's give it some more time and kind of go at it uh, in this international break. Talk about like, you know, take a look at the league in general and see, you know, where we're at and where, you know, it's 11 games in now. Gally, let's start with you. Let's start with a team that you see probably up here that you did not expect to see. And you feel like they're either like overachieving or pleasantly surprised. All right. So I, I, I know at least one person on the panel is going to talk about Brighton. So I'll let them talk. I'm going to jump on a different one. I'm going to go Wolves. And the reason I'm going to say Wolves is I saw that Bruno Lodge team early in the year. And I thought to myself that Jimenez looked like a shell of himself. They looked like they were really still missing Jota. Um, they got a little bit older. They didn't have the wing backs that they used to have. And without Nuno, I wondered if they would be able to rework it. And I got to be honest, those first few matches, they got completely, I think they had zero points after three matches. And I thought Wolves could seriously be in trouble. And for them to rebound like this 11 matches in and be sitting where they are, eighth in the table, sniffing Europe, uh, I think is a pretty good testament for a manager coming in, coaching at the top flight for the first time in his career, um, basically in England 
a Portuguese team. Pretty much, yeah, the Portugal national team. If he took could take him to like Spurs with him, probably like, it, it's like better. Portuguese under nineteen, their under twenty one team playing in England each week. But that's pretty impressive where they are right now. Bickler, I think he left Brighton for you, but do you have another sleeper? I actually do, believe it or not. I think if you were to look at those teams, right, and you did like a 10-year comparison of average like placement on the table, I think the ones that would stand out most would be West Ham, Brighton, Wolves, and Crystal Palace. Those are the four teams to me that are probably substantially higher than their average like position on the table. I, I know that Galley has heard me wax poetically about Brighton. West Ham and Brighton to me are two teams that are higher than they normally are and are kind of shocking to the casual observer on this team. I think both of those teams are that good. I think both of those teams, I think West Ham is a legit contender. Uh, I think Brighton is a, a lot better than most people think they are. The ones that are surprising are Wolves and Crystal Palace to me. That's the other two. Uh, Galley took Wolves. You know, they look like they were relegation material at the beginning of the season. They've ripped off like six straight. Uh, Crystal Palace, um, you know, we're used to the, seeing them play some pretty dreadfully boring football, and they're not a boring team. Uh, you know, Vieri has done a good job of going in and putting in some offensive life into that team. Uh, they're not as disciplined defensively, uh, but I think we reap the rewards on the back end, uh, them being a little shakier and seeing some more offensive football from them. And they've got some good pieces. Um, and, and, you know, mid-table is probably right about for the football they played this year. So I think Palace is sort of my, my shocker off there that we haven't talked about because, to me, West Ham and Brighton are, are that good. So let me ask you guys this then. Let's start with you, Bickler. At the end of the season – Who's above the other, West Ham or Brighton? Who's the better team? Uh, yeah, who finishes uh, oh. better in terms of like total points, West Ham or Brighton? Oh, West Ham for sure. All right. Agree, Galley? Yeah, I, I think West Ham's going to be right in a shout for fourth, third. I think they're going to be right there when this thing's all said and done. I think if they, barring injury, West Ham is – in this with a shout unless for some reason they just feel they have to put all their eggs into winning the Europa League because they're afraid like Leicester they'll run out of gas and that's an automatic berth into the Champions League and they decide to go that route because I don't know they have the squad to really compete on both fronts all the way through uh, with the depth they have right now. So out of the the big six or whatever um Which one surprises you guys the most in a good way or a bad way? I mean, this has been, we've kind of like gone back to a bit more of a regular. I know like, you know, if you've only followed the Premier League for the last two, three seasons, this looks like, oh, such a weird year. But I feel like the last two, three seasons were more weird where, you know, a team would accumulate so many points or two teams when we were running with like City would accumulate so many points. This is probably a bit more of a norm where everybody's close. People are more likely to lose points and stuff like that. But out of the big six, Paul, which one surprises you the most, good or bad? Uh, well, I think I've got to give it to Arsenal right now because they're playing some pretty good football. They've got some good young players in there. They've got a lot. They've still got a mess on their hands. But, I mean, we've been pretty quick to bang on them and, like, people have been pretty quick to bury them. But they've climbed themselves right back into a top five position And, you know, they seem to be tightening up defensively. I think White has been a good addition for them. Um, and, you, like, you know, they've got some youngsters playing. Saka Row, they're all doing really well. Um, there's still a mess to sort out there, but I think that they're doing much better than uh, I know I thought they'd do. Um, you know, we talked about them being in real trouble and possibly going down, you know, mid to lower mid table, and they're right back up there. So that's surprising to me. How about you, Gally? Yeah, so, you know, the thing about Arsenal is is that, yes, they've climbed the table and they've accumulated 20 points in their first 11 matches, but they have a zero goal differential because they're still a 50-50 team at any one moment. They can win five minutes of a match or lose 10 minutes and, and go either way. And I, I know that Tottenham is a few rungs down, I think five points behind right now in the – 
in the overall standings and four spots on the table. And I would take Arsenal's talent top to bottom, and I would take the top end of Tottenham's talent. But I know this. I'll take Tottenham's manager from now to the end of the year to accumulate more points than what Mikel Arteta will do with that group of guys from Arsenal. And that's that's the difference. I think this league comes down to coaching. And I think Tottenham made the move they had to do. I think they'll sign some players. And I think they'll be the team with West Ham fighting for the fourth spot when it's all said and done. And Arsenal, United, and Leicester and those clubs, they'll be finishing fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, however it comes. I, I really think Tottenham and West Ham will be three and four fighting it out. See, I knew the whole Kane drama would kind of like affect Tottenham in a negative way and they would have some rough spells. I really did not expect them to be this poor, I guess. Especially, I mean, that was the opening game, right? They beat City. Like 1-0 or something like that, yeah, right? I, so. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was like, yeah. I mean, this this team could be for real and stuff like that. And they've kind of obviously like collapsed big time. And are you guys surprised that, I mean... Surprise in this sense, despite Ole, I thought <laughs> United would do better with the people they signed. And this is probably why we're hoping he stays, we're praying he stays, because I feel like a semi-competent manager can play those players, even though as a squad, maybe, I mean, they're far from being the best squad in the league compared to, you know, us, City and Chelsea and stuff. When you look at like different, you know, like midfield defense and stuff like that, but I feel like a good, a decent manager can really get that team playing a lot better and make more of a play like freaking Sancho, for example, that they don't even use. Are you shocked by how poor they've been, Gally? If if they if I'm I'm actually really shocked by how bad they've been. I thought they would be right up there with us and Chelsea and City fighting for the title. I mean, they finished second last year. They were on the come. I do think that signing Ronaldo set everything back. And that's the one thing I'll give Ole a pass at. I think that was a board decision that just ruined basically all progression of everything good they were doing. So for that, I thank them. Um, But really when you look at them, if Conte had signed for United after, if they had fired Ole, the day after the Liverpool debacle, like they probably should have, and they had signed Antonio Conte, by the end of this international break, he would have their back three or their back five or back four or whatever. He would have figured out their defensive problems and at least put them in a position to compete because that's what he does. He fixes problems. And that's the thing that they don't have. They don't have a tactical mind that can actually help offset their problems and it's it's great for the observer you know it's great for the neutral and it's great for the people who get paid off those ratings on all those uh crazy man united videos that they put out during the matches yeah especially after our game that was definitely a great watch uh but you know uh so let's go back to the other one that we were looking at with stevie g and uh, obviously, this would be more about, you know, the teams that are not performing as well as they should. Biggest shocker over here, Bickler, in terms of a team that you see on this side of the table? I mean, the obvious one to me is Leicester at 12. It's crazy. I thought they had the best offseason of any team in the Premier League, uh, just in terms of sheer talent and value. They got some absolute bangers in there. Samare is a beast in midfield. Daka, I know he hasn't played a lot, but when he has, he's scoring in bundles already in a brand-new team. Um, So, yeah, I'm surprised that the main thing with them is they've looked so vulnerable defensively. Um, And so, yeah, I'm shocked that they're at 12 uh, and playing as poorly as they are because that's a team that's chock full of talent back to front. Um, You know I'm a huge fan of Tillemans, and he's still playing phenomenally for them. So, yeah, I'm shocked they're back there. Honestly, when I look at this, aside from Villa, which you know, we talked about in length, I did not expect Leeds to be there this low. I mean, I thought they would kind of like add on top of last year with that style. Either, you know, they're just getting burnt out from Bielsa's, you know, methods uh, from his training to, you know, like what he expects. But 
I really felt they like their structure and how they played, like the foundation they had in terms of the style would kind of like keep them definitely higher in the league. I mean, to be honest, right now, let's just call it. And San Norwich, Newcastle, which would be hilarious. Let's see who gets chainsawed into parts in Newcastle when that happens. And then Sean Douche going uh, with his Burnley team. I mean, this is a dream scenario for me right here with these three teams going down. I mean, I have nothing against Norwich, but we have to get a third. And honestly, when you only have five points, you probably should be going down. Uh, Galley, who shocks you on the screen aside from me and Bickler? Well, that is true. Uh, <laughs> Leeds was going to be mine. Um, but I'll tell you this. I watch them week in and week out. And every week I think to myself, it looks to me like a championship team with Rafinha. Every week. That's what it looks like. A championship team with Rafinha. And occasionally Calvin Phillips shows he has like real talent, but he's on a championship team. So why would you pay any attention to what he does? because he's a holding midfielder on a championship team. And that's kind of what they look like to me. And and I'll tell you what, if they get sucked into a relegation battle, I know Bielsa has no energy to get out of it because there's no hunkering down and getting nil-nil draws to get points the way you get out of relegation battles. And this could be an interesting relegation battle because we look at those teams like Newcastle. I'm sorry, Newcastle has more talent on its roster than some of the teams above it on on this sheet, on this screen. They have just as much talent as Southampton. They can score more goals than Southampton. Newcastle can stay up. I I think they will stay up because I think they're going to spend money. You know, Burnley is atrocious. I hope they go down. Um, You know, I think Watford will go down just because I think Watford will change their manager two more times. And Watford's the only club that changes their manager five times a year and somehow gets six negative managerial bumps after changing five times because they hire the same guy twice. Um, <laughs> it doesn't usually work. So, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing about this right here is I think these exact same 10 teams will probably finish at the bottom of the table with maybe Leicester City jumping up. But I think these are the clubs that are going to battle it out and it's probably going to be three of five that go down. But you're guessing you saved Newcastle, you bumped Watford, you basically swapped I think, I Newcastle and Watford. I think Watford, Burnley, if you ask me right now, I'd say Watford, Burnley, and Norwich, but I'm pretty sure before the season started, I said Watford, Burnley, and Norwich, and I always say Burnley, always. That's more like a dream than anything else, maybe. Bickler, who do you have? For relegation, yeah, man, I think it's going to be Norwich, Norwich, Watford, Leeds. I'll say it. I think. I think. I don't see. There's nothing that that says to me that Leeds is going to pull out of this tailspin. Um, I think Villa is just too good. I think they got too much talent. I think they'll figure it out. They'll start scoring goals because they have so much talent from midfield to striker. They will start scoring goals again. And it's essentially the back four they had last year. So I don't know what's going on there. Watford looks like a championship team to me. Uh, I think Burnley is going to get enough 1-1 nil-nil draws that they'll pull out of there eventually. Uh, Newcastle, I I mean, I don't think I'd go as far as Galley and saying that, like, to me, I don't think they can score as much as Southampton can. But I think they can score enough. And I think they've got enough talent that they can get out of there. Uh, and Norwich doesn't – I mean, they look like they're going to do their – I don't know what Norwich has against just coming into the, the league and staying for like two or three years. Like I feel like they – like I don't know if it's like they go on holiday in the EPL and like need to go <laughs> home like next year. Like they get homesick and they're like, oh, we got to – so, I mean, but they don't look – despite their roster, which is chock full of young talent, I don't see them – I don't see them staying up. So, yeah, I'll go Norwich. I'll go Norwich, Watford, uh, Leeds. Yeah, I feel like Norwich does either, like, one or the other. Either they really stick with the team that won the championship, and obviously 
Premier League is not the same, so they go down. Or they change almost too much, and then they yeah. still go down because now they change yeah. too much. Just can't get the ratio right. But, yeah, this would be a dream scenario for me. I do agree, though. I hate to say it, but Burnley, I feel like, will find a way to uh, stay in this freaking league and like do hard tackles on everybody. But, yeah, this would be a dream scenario because I would just laugh and laugh and laugh if Newcastle went down the championship. And then, obviously, Burnley and Sean Douche. But uh, so let's go back to your guys' favorite part, the trivia, because I think this is going to kind of like lead into uh, our like talk for like the weekend real quick. I know, like I say, it's going to be pretty hard to guess a lineup because we don't know who's going to be healthy. But so non basically appearances or uh, unused subs was leading is Konate with 13. Kelleher is with 12 because I think he was injured for a while. Normally, you would expect him to be like number one on that. And Taki has 10 of them, which I felt... I mean, it goes kind of back to what we constantly talk about is why. <laughs> like, why doesn't he get more opportunities? So that kind of like brings us to this weekend. If Mane is not able to go, with obviously Bobby still out, do we see Taki or do we see Divac, especially with his recent form as well? Uh, Gally, let's start with you. I think we see Taki. He's, um, I think, two out of the last three times that the two of them came on together, he came on ahead of them, um, which to me might show he's kind of pipped them a little bit in the order. I also think that Divac offers more of an actual game-changing force from the bench when your bench is weak going forward. Um, he's a different type of look through the center than what you would have if you were to start him. And I think that we also know that Divock Origi can't play 90 minutes, so he might as well come on 60 and give you 30 good ones. That's a good point. I guess in terms of people coming off the bench, I think in terms of like the impact they've made in the past, if you're just judging it off of that, probably Divock is a better sub compared to like Taki. Uh, I know you are a huge fan of Divock. Bickler, so are you starting him or are you starting Taki? No, this I agree with Kelly. I, mean, I, think, I think the real, the real value in Divac is you just leave him on the bench, let him play around on Pinterest, send an alarm for him so he knows <laughs> in the 75th minute he's got to take off his drawers and go jog down the sideline and get ready. So I think that's that's the that's the thing. You know, Taki's a lesser version of what we do across the board. Like, I mean, from a tactical standpoint – he can press, he can run, he can do all those things and find the half spaces that you would expect Bobby and Jota to do in that position. So I think Taki is a more natural selection for starting if you're starting with a normal game plan. Like Divock is is the sort of um, the curveball off the bench. He's a he's almost your change of pace back. Like you put him on because he is not he he is not going to do that crazy high line pressing and running around. He's going to like softly find a spot and kick in a worldie from 22 yards out uh, while looking like he would rather be elsewhere. Um, and that's like really the value of Divac at this point, right? I mean, I think so for sure you've got to start Taki. So, I mean, one thing Arsenal has done, and that's what the only part that worries me about this game is are we going to be able to? Because when you look at it, you were talking about their goal differential. I can gallow you. Uh, and they're at like zero despite, you know, being like fifth in the league. I mean, one thing they've improved compared to the past is probably obviously like their defense. But I don't know if that has been at the expense of their attacking because, I mean, you look at like some of the players in their squad, it's shocking that they've only scored 13 goals in 11 games right now. So what do you expect a game where they kind of like sit back and we try to open them up, Galley, Or do you expect like, I just don't see Arsenal trying to be open in the back knowing the pains in the past. Yeah, I, I think this is a game where we're where Arsenal is going to play. They're going to play as if they were playing a defensive approach. I think Arteta is going to set up behind the ball and try to hit us on the break. And I think this is a game that's going to – I think we're going to get to who's starting in the midfield soon enough, but – I think this is a game where you'll probably see Tiago from the start 
and you know Tiago Fab and Ox, which is scary. Tiago Fab Jones question mark? Like, <laughs> dude, I we mean, have no idea. It's impossible to select this week. How yeah. hurt is Jordan Anderson? Does Jones actually have a right eye still, or is it completely gone? Like we we have no, we have no idea. I mean, if I'll say this right now, I can't imagine Jordan Henderson starting this game. The fact that he allowed himself to be sent home from the England camp, like he left the camp, even knowing he could have probably just sat out today and been with his teammates, watching that fun ten nothing win in San Marino or wherever the hell they were on the cow patch they were playing on. Um, but you know, I don't know that Jordan Henderson bows out of anything without actually being a little hurt to the point where I can't imagine him risking him on Saturday afternoon, but I've seen crazier things happen. The only thing that we know about Saturday is that at one point, Tamuchin is going to wake up early ass in the morning and he's going to put on discord big opportunity for Ox today. <laughs> Well, it's always a big opportunity for Ox. Yeah. <laughs> I think and I'll say something like, it. prepare to be disappointed. So so, so, do we have a midfield consensus? Do we think that Fab and, and Tiago will both start? I don't know. I like mean, Rickard says it's impossible to know because we do not. I mean, I guess we have a full, well, not a full week, I guess, but we still have like four days. Let's see who gets back because there's still international games tomorrow. Uh, which should be a fun day. Uh, but then, yeah, we don't know who's going to – I mean, you know, it could be where Hendo knows how important he is with all these other injuries, so he wanted to come back and start his treatment so he can be ready for Saturday. So I don't know. I know what you're saying, Galdi. I just don't know how to read that, the fact that he said, I got to go. And, you know, like came back to Liverpool knowing how crucial he is, especially with all the injuries we have in midfield right now. I hope but, you're right. Ox has got to have a game because I'm honestly getting to the point where I'd rather see Tyler Morton straight up. Like, I mean, it, it's like he doesn't do enough defensively and he's like, he's struggled to find his footing. Like he's got to, he's got to put it together. It's, that's the thing. Maybe I shouldn't put that on Discord. Maybe I'm putting too much pressure on Ox because uh, yeah. I feel like he overtries when he's out there, like trying to show his value and kind of like, like forcing things, not going with the overall. I mean, we watch this team nonstop, so we almost know a little bit of where the ball should go and things like that. And you feel like Ox, which is a good thing in a way, probably against defenses where he kind of like does something that we don't normally do because he can bring that. But I feel like sometimes he kind of like forces that issue, which causes him to lose the ball. And those balls we lose in midfield usually are the ones that come to bite us in the ass and become a counter, which probably what Arsenal will be counting on. So when you said Fab, Thiago, and Ox, and I know that does sound probably like the most logical right now if Handel is not there, that does scare me a lot. So, yeah, yeah it does. So, <laughs> so let's hope that does not happen. So obviously it's impossible to come up with a lineup, but... Let's go one step further, see if you guys can come up with a final score. Or at least, do we get the win in this one, being home, going against Arsenal? Like I said, it's a team that has scored 13 goals and conceded 13. I feel like if we get a lead and open them up, it could be just another Arsenal game where we pile on like three, four, five on them. But I just don't know if we're going to be able to open that door with you know what we have, especially if Mane doesn't play. I know he's been, you know, getting a lot of flack for being out of form and he's like in leading the league in like big chances mixed and like missed and stuff like that. But the attention he gets due to his quality and what he can do definitely opens up things for everybody else on the field that kind of gets overlooked at times. But Bickler, what say you for this week's final? Um I'll say we win 2-0. Um, as, as much as I can credit, you know, Arsenal for turning it around. Uh, I mean, they've reeled off four or five, but, like, they've also – it's been uh, 
it's been Villa in bad form. It's been Leeds. It's been Leicester in bad form. It's been Watford, yeah. right? And, and so, I mean, I think the last four wins, they've done all right. But I I, I don't think they've played anyone with our firepower in, in, in about a month and a half. So uh, I think we're going to score. Um, and they nece- they haven't necessarily lit anybody up. They haven't scored more than two goals in ages. So uh, I think it, I'll go 2-0. Yeah, I agree. It's like a good top seven team should. They won the games that they should, at least on paper. I guess we wish we could say that because uh, we'd be a lot better off right now, at least like four to six points better off. But I think they've done that. You're right. When I was looking at the games and they had a bunch of clean sheets, but it's always in like a 1-0 win and stuff like that against teams that, you know, they were able to. And I think that's what they're doing. They're basically sitting back, defending and they know they have some talent. They're like, if it happens, it happens. If not, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. I mean, rather take one point than be embarrassed and leave themselves open in the back. Because perhaps Arteta knows that, you know, they don't have that many good players back there. I know you were mentioning, like, Ben White. And I know, like, he's, the back line has improved. But I think a lot of it comes from the overprotection they get from, like, rest of the field, which obviously, attack, you know, affects them attacking-wise. But, Gally, what is your prediction? I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we score off a couple set pieces. Uh, They've been really bad this year on defending set pieces, giving up lots of opportunities. So, you know, if Robo doesn't play, who knows, maybe it's a couple of Shemekis' world-class left foots. And uh, I also expect – I think Kanate will start alongside Van Dyke coming out of this international break. And I think it's his job until he loses it. Interesting. That is an interesting take because based on his record against Arsenal alone, I kind of assumed it would be Matip. I know the numbers are good, but I I genuinely think that uh, one Matip hasn't played well in those last two starts he got. He got two in a week again and it didn't go great. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great. And I think there is something to be said for where Virgil has looked the most comfortable. And the couple times this year that he's like boasted and talked about how great he felt happened to be when he was standing next to the Colossus. And I think if there's anything he might have lost was a little bit of the power in the air. And I think having someone else be the number one guy out there when it comes to defending set pieces isn't something that Van Dyke is hating right now. And I think Klopp sees it. And I think, um, I think we were missing a mountain of a man against West Ham. And I think they're going to make sure it doesn't happen. Since we're doing center back hot takes, I will say, I don't think this is going to happen, but what makes the most sense to me in this matchup is Kanate and Mata. That would make total sense, but it's never going to happen. And we know why. Why? Because he doesn't. Because Virgil him. looks a- Virgil looked absolutely fucking gassed last game in the Netherlands. In the second half, when they got two goals back, yeah, one of them he was jogging back on. The second he just looks gassed, and he doesn't have the quick t- twitch stuff he had uh, pre-injury. That stuff's not back. His top end speed may be back, but his recovery speed is certainly not. Um, it's just the amount of football he played coming off that injury, man. It makes more sense for me to go Kanate Matip. I don't think it's going to happen, but that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that it does make sense what you guys are saying. And I, that was one thing, you know, part of me, because of Turkey, wanted them to kind of have a meaningful game the last against Norway because nobody thought Norway was going to lose points. But uh, that was the downfall of it because he could have maybe gotten a rest this game, if it didn't matter to Netherlands, because if Netherlands won midweek, they were guaranteed top seeds and they were done and over with. So it would have been a good opportunity for maybe Van Dyke to get a rest and have an entire week off and stuff like that. But that will not happen because, like I said, if they lose to Norway at home and if Turkey wins, Netherlands is out to the disappointment of Paul Bickler over here, who will throw Turkey to the wolves just to get Netherlands in there. Isn't that sure right, Paul? Sure yeah. will. You can't have the World Cup without the Netherlands. You can't even walk out without Turkey. I mean, we've had a bunch of them. Let's not have another one, at least. Let's go. Let's go that way. <laughs> like we definitely have. <laughs> well, gentlemen, hopefully 
on Monday next week when we sit over here at 7 p.m. Central, Paul, I don't know, like adjust your uh, time zones, but 7 p.m. Central next week, Monday night, we'll be here hopefully talking about yet another victory against Arsenal. I do like that scoreline of 3-1 as well, Gally, so I will go that way as well. Thank you all for watching and listening and contributing and see you guys next week.